0: All right. Welcome back. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans. Time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. So without further ado, let's introduce you to our guest. We have the one, the only, the legendary Miss Day Al-Muhammad. How are you doing, man?
1: Hey, thank you guys for inviting me. I am super excited. I'm not sure I would have called myself legendary, but you know what? Shut up. I'm going to take it. It's a pandemic. We take anything we can get. That's That's right. Right. I got
2: infamous, so you're lucky. I didn't get legendary. I got infamous.
1: Can you get inducted into a Hall of Fame recently? Oh. I I did. Um, I got inducted into the Disability Mentoring um, National Hall of Fame. So I that think
3: you is... for something, lady.
1: Oh, yeah.
2: That's legend. Wait for it. Hope you're not lactose intolerant. Dairy, legend, dairy.
0: <laughs> so, so why don't you tell us a little about yourself, the most famous award-winning person that you
1: are? Ooh, see, that makes me sound special, and now the bio is going to end up being real boring in re- in return for that. So, uh, I think like to think of myself as an uh, an author, a filmmaker, and a disability policy strategist. I've spent most of my my regular work life as a as a lobbyist, but a good guy lobbyist. so I do I worked on hate crimes, education for kids, language preservation for Native American tribes, and spent a good chunk of time working on minority health issues related to the ACA. Um, and then uh, anybody who works in government knows how grind soulless and grinding it be. so you have to have some sort of creative effort, not that government can be a little creative in some ways. <clears throat> yeah. right we what? all we all we've all met that that bureaucrat you know what I'm talking about so um so actually I because I, like I, I was him <laughs> <laughs> there you go uh so actually I I write science fiction and fantasy I have a, a real love for ultimate history and steampunk uh and um so I have uh, I I guess two books so I feel like I'm just getting started compared to so many other folks Uh, one is Bob Ali and the Clockwork Gin which I co-wrote with Danielle Ackley McPhail Um, so actually think Middle Eastern steampunk Uh, and the other more recently from Falstaff Press which is the Labyrinth Archivist which is actually uh, you could say Middle Eastern fantasy but it's a murder mystery because who can resist those Um, so I I have a lot of fun doing that and and then more recently I've ended up taking that love of history and, and twisting things a little bit and doing, um, doing some documentary film, working on history stuff, and more recently writing for PBS. Cool. Oh. So it is it's, it's awesome. it is fun, exciting, and a whole lot, and and so they don't yell at me. I actually am uh, one of a revolving group of amazing hosts on um, Adobe Radio's Geek Girl Riot, so a pop culture radio show with all the gals.
0: <laughs> cool. So the next part of the introduction, dear listener or viewer over there on the YouTubes, uh, as, as they would say, is the um, how we uh, know how that. that. Uh oh, uh, but I know Nick and I met or heard of you through uh, through Doc. So, Doc, how did you first meet the one, the only, the legendary
2: Miss Day? <laughs> well,
1: he's gonna do this all night, isn't he? Yeah,
0: I'm yes. glad you reverted
1: oh, that funny.
2: question because I always feel attacked when he asks it. I'm like, dude, it's the same answer every week, bro. I met him through you guys, okay? It's, it's like that old 80s Dare commercial like, who taught you how to do this from you, okay? I learned it by watching you,
3: so um. Who's may or may not have been involved, but we were at Mysticon back in 2019. And your publisher, John Hartness, who is known solely for his uh
2: eccentric
3: Oh yeah, John, John's always great. He goes, he tells people on panels, buy my shit so I don't have to pack it. So <laughs>
2: um, stealing my lines.
3: You know, he had he pulled me over and he's like I want to introduce you today. You'll like her. She's great. You got a few things in common. And she's going to Dragon Con this year. So he that's how I met. And he like, he was like, So, what kind of panels do you think you're gonna put her on? I, John, I just met her right. like 10 minutes ago. Right. We, we haven't even said hi to each other yet. Damn,
2: John, a little foreplay, bro. Come
3: on. <laughs> I I know, I, no, 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 no. I know, John. No. <laughs>
2: Dude, like, we just met. You got to give me time.
3: But so that was how we met. And we got to talking about a lot of different things because we both spent some of our early childhood in the same region, too. So, but yeah. So that's how I met. And then I was like, hey, if we're doing, I want to have
1: Day on. She's great. Right. See, now I, there's pressure to be entertaining and funny and all of that kind of crap. And I'm wait, like, seriously?
2: We talked for like five minutes backstage. You are entertaining and funny. So,
0: the other part of that wait. is like, just go with it. Certain publishing can be very insular to the section of it that you're in. So, if you read a lot of space opera and that's what you write, you're going to know a lot of those authors. But because when we rebranded, we wanted to be able to do a lot more than just that. Because otherwise, you're interviewing the same people over and over again. That like, gets boring. So, so, Seska's been on the hunt for, for stories we haven't talked about before, just because it's different. So, oh, so and Steampunk is fun. It's Steampunk, it not Steampunk. Steampunk so oh, could be something that we could get some musical soundtrack playing when you read it, that that could be a thing.
3: I have uh really I didn't know what music we would pair it. with it. Fantasy, I've been on a real fantasy jazz lately for uh, non-European based fantasy, so. Because so much of fantasy can be very European, which is great. But it's also been done a lot.
2: <laughs> There's so many but other regions that you can draw a fantasy no.
3: from.
0: So we've got to decide if we let you stay. So you've got to answer the religion questions. And there is a test at the end. All right. So, Doc.
3: <laughs> <laughs> going, Star Trek, Star Wars, or Firefly? And I will tell John which one you answered with.
1: <laughs> no pressure. So yeah, this is where I have to admit I <clears throat> I I think Star Wars is only okay. And that's because I, I accidentally as a child saw Spaceballs first and <laughs> thought that was the most genius thing I'd ever seen in my entire life. Say, didn't realize it was answer. derivative. And, you
2: know,
1: didn't realize you know that was based on something else until years later. So that's an so acceptable answer. Yeah, so Never unfortunately. Had it before. Yeah, I so mean, Spaceballs yeah. kind of kicked everything and kind of ruined it. Um so instead of but I'm I'm No, it,
2: it, actually that that is a solid answer. If that's the, how you were introduced into Star Wars cuz that's exactly how you were introduced to Star Wars was through Spaceballs. Was
1: well, through Spaceballs. Watching um, the spoof
2: of the original probably I would pro- if I had watched it in reverse and watched Spaceballs first. I probably would have thought Spaceballs was.
1: See? Was was the, be- <coughs> was <coughs> was so the better piece. Spaceballs so. is day is Probably. Okay. I'll be honest, though. We're going to have to throw, throw that into
2: next questions. <laughs> <laughs> going, vo- go. going forward, we're going to have to throw it in there. It's going to be Star yeah. Trek, Star Wars, or Firefly, or Spaceballs.
1: I, I was also the weak kid who was convinced that I was going to grow up and marry John Luke Picard. I just needed him to wait for me. Thank you.
3: i wanted I'm to be Arrow, him. and I was Bye. on that list. I was going to marry him. I was the kid who told everybody I wanted to be just like Jean-Luc Picard, only female and with hair. Those two distinctions were very... Y'all want to take
2: a guess who I wanted to be? Janeway? Uh, (laughs) Yeah, with the beard, you guessed it. She
0: was a a hallbuster, so I just figured, you know, go with it.
2: Nah, Riker, man. I mean, can you strike the
0: rum pose, though?
2: Not in this chair, because the arms don't go up.
3: No, so, (laughs) another religion question of the night is Lord of the
1: Rings, Game of Thrones, or Harry Potter? Oh, I'm going to ruin that also. Legend. Okay. Okay. Tim Curry. Tom Cruise. Tim Tim Curry as the villain. Yeah, that was another one. Like, forget Tom Cruise, the hero. I was all about Tim Curry. I definitely did not understand he was the villain in the show at the time. He was so awesome and sexy and... Yeah, I had to. I had. Have to you re- ever seen
2: documentaries on the all the behind this, the screen stuff? Like I process? think I, I saw one
1: first. years and years ago, and I really would like to resee that. So. Oh
2: yeah, I love Legend. So, but uh
1: I,
3: that's fair. I actually didn't see Legend until I was like a teenager. I missed it somehow. Saw it in
1: the theater. I'm that old. Yeah. I was I in another country. <laughs> Although I'm going to be bad here because I'm also going. I you guys less, listed stuff. I'm like you know I didn't. I didn't confirm whether you guys were talking about the books or about the films. So, so it was interesting that my, my knee jerk response for both of them was the films. I'm like, huh? Well, that's because you do film too, my lady. Mm, so, that's True. Uh, what we, about
0: Labyrinth? Before we go on, what are your thoughts on Labyrinth?
1: Oh, who doesn't love Labyrinth? It's okay, great. We're going to make me cry. Country. We're going to live my
0: childhood trauma. Thank you. <laughs> 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 you were the little brother that got lost and taken, weren't you?
1: Duh. <laughs> I, 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 oh, so I'm, I'm 40 years old. Uh, no, I was going to that the nightmares came from the dark crystal because I don't remember the story. I just remember flashes of the images or things like that from a, as a kid. And I'm like, uh, nightmares and the was
2: crying. And well, yeah, the horse dying in the never ending story. That was my first trial. No, no, the, no,
1: no, country. no. I'm dying don't, no, 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 no. In front not there. And they've ruined
2: that at Dragon Con, too. That kid running around with the horse head. <laughs> <laughs> Some things you just can't unsee and cry immediately.
3: I will admit the golden child scarred my view of oatmeal for the rest of my life. So, ever since, if you if I have oatmeal or grits in front of me, I have to stir them like a minimum of ten times before I'll eat them.
2: Yeah. Okay, so it's the traumatic hour now.
1: (laughs) Okay. There there will be tears tonight. There will be tears.
2: That's why I'm wearing the
1: glasses. I'm the terrible person. I'm like, I'm going to keep sidestepping your religion questions here. (laughs) (laughs) That is my plan for the night. I'm going to sidestep your
2: whole gig, man. Good luck, dudes.
3: (laughs) And you said you weren't entertaining. So we love both the fantastical and the scientific here. But what was your first love? Sci fi or fantasy?
1: Mm. Hmm. So, first, first love was probably going to be fantasy because I, I remember as a kid reading The White Dragon. So Anne McCaffrey was my opening. Yes. However, my very first introduction was actually um, All Summer in a Day, um, okay. and 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 so science fiction was actually what. I hadn't realized what had caught me first, but the first time I remember as a kid and had and like loved was was the white dragon. Which is science fiction, despite the
3: Banner. That is very
1: true. Up. That is very true. So, See, hmm. there. You're outvoted off the
3: island.
0: So you, you just brought her in to be a ringer for your corrupt ideas.
3: Oh, I brought her in because she's wonderful, talented, and intelligent.
0: Because <laughs> she agrees with you, is that why? <laughs> no. Nice, Dave. Oh, nice Dave. You,
1: but it does help. <laughs> so, okay. What is it that you I love? Have, about- I'm going to back away slowly.
2: Oh. <laughs> for, for when I have to do that, I, I try to throw a packet of Oreos out there. Seems to distract them long enough where I can escape gracefully.
1: Oh, there we go. Yeah, Oreos, so. You know, I was thinking a spritz bottle. No, psst, psst, no. Because you have cats. Fill it with Sprite, and
2: I'll stick around and just open oh, my mouth open. I love Sprite. <laughs>
1: No.
3: so what, is it, what is it that you love know? about this genre the sci-fi and fantasy genre uh,
1: I think more than anything else it lets us experiment with with all the what ifs or the what can bes or even the what was is because every time you get in the real world it's like there are these restrictions and limitations whether it's whether those are economic financial imagination uh, any number of other things and I think, the these are the other areas are, are just the, the opportunities for creativity. But um I'm also a big believer that science fiction and 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 fantasy and speculative fiction as a whole has done more. This is where I'm gonna piss everybody off, has done more to move society forward than any other genre. You know, no, we talk about all those NASA, out. all those NASA engineers who openly talk about how Star Trek inspired them, right? People who talk about the um the idea of safety equipment that they got from from reading this or that book or this or that world dis- disaster and things like that 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 came from 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 the imaginations of writers and authors years ago. You know, My the iPad that, and
2: iPencil pencil came from Star Trek: The Next Generation.
1: Right, uh, you, and the, the fact that William Gibson says I can't write this stuff now because some of the, the horrible you know, the dystopian stuff is happening, but the fact that people that that writers and specifically science fiction and fantasy writers were seeing it. Um, so many years ago tells that there's a there's a place for it in so far as, as, uh, as, as forecasting in some ways, but also casting backwards in time, giving us new views on history, on human nature, psychology, like all of that, because you're able to step outside the everyday. Because a lot of times we don't wanna talk about that in everyday, I'm like, I do not wanna read another one about another modern day book about how horrible the world is. Trust me, I have to live in it, right? But you put it in a science fiction um, or, or a fantasy element and suddenly everybody's all about it and it's much more approachable.
2: It becomes escapism as, a, so. as opposed to reality right that
0: actually and it's the inverse is is we've pushed other fields forward because i've I've actually met um, naval officers that's got into science and became uh, nuclear sub captains because that's as close as they could get to the bridge of a starship.
3: Uh, we interviewed a pilot who became a pilot because it's the closest she could get to riding a green dragon.
0: Oh, does the helicopters count for piloting, or do we just yes. call them like okay, <laughs> you interviewed <laughs> a trunk
2: because it was the closest you're going to be to an entertaining artist?
1: Yeah, it, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's just it's something about that genre. When you the more people you talk to, the more you realize you've done that. When you hear people talk about other books, it's not like the, the underlying
2: theme of those types of stories is hope. Okay. Open one and of, uh, innovation.
3: One of my favorite quotes. There's two quotes, and they kind of and came up with it to paraphrase it. If one man can dream it, another can build it. And she did that a lot in the Pern books. But also, um, there's another author, uh, Ringo, who was once asked why he he because he he likes to destroy the world and then write the story.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And That's he goes, "Why do your books work? Focus on the piles in the room." So.
0: All right. So what is your first memory of engaging in science fiction or fantasy as a genre? So basically, broadly speaking, speculative fiction. Was it watching it? Was it reading it, playing games in it? How did you discover the speculative fiction world?
1: No, no, that was the watching all summer in a day. Um, and, the, and the idea of living on, what was it? Was it Venus? And the sun not only coming up for just a, a few hours or a few hours one day. Um Uh, And it was just um, and all the flowers coming out and the one girl who from Earth who was so uh, troubled by it, they had locked in a closet. I mean, it's bullying and stuff, but it's the idea of of what it would mean to be on another world. And but at at the end of it, it's still all about how we are as people and how we interact with each other. And it's uh, that was that was my very, very first like vague memories of that, of uh, of an interaction with science fiction.
0: So, how did your love of science fiction and fantasy transitioning into you writing stories? Is it was it merely to get away from the soulless crushing world of your or was there something more?
1: Um I love to claim the soullessness, but actually the the big thing uh, was that's both simple and Maybe not so simple as one, long time reader, loving all of that. Um, But when I first moved to the DC area, um, and as a a lobbyist, um, my wife actually had to stay behind in Missouri and she was finishing off her master's degree. So we were gonna be apart for an entire year. Uh, And it's like, well, what do you do when you live in a town by yourself? I'm like, uh, my answer is to sign up for any and every class, group, workshop, whatever I can find to keep myself busy. Keep so I started fencing then, I joined a writing club, I joined a book club, uh, I joined a film group, yeah, I kept uh, pretty busy. So. Wow, that's,
2: that's really impressive, and it, it makes total sense to keep the mind busy so you don't miss
1: everything. <laughs> exactly.
2: All
0: right, well, <clears throat> we know who's got the next question, because he's got the glasses to match the color on the
2: outline. I do that so I can uh, I remember (laughs) My lord you make me sound like an imbecile Which I am you're not wrong But we don't need to just keep putting a spotlight on it
3: You're our favorite super grunt
2: At least I don't have to lift anything heavy on this one Other than this question Which is many authors let their own uh, real life experiences Influence the stories they tell Uh, Were were there anything specific Formidable moments that uh, really shaped you As a storyteller
1: Hmm. And I never can think of anything awesome or exciting to say to that. I'm like, no, I'm a, I'm a pretty nice, dull, boring person. And that's how <laughs> we're going to tell it. Um, no, uh, actually, the the most fun thing probably would be um, the Labyrinth Archivist um, that, that I wrote for, for Hartness uh, was originally I wanted to have a murder solving character. But I'm like, I'm going to make this character blind. And and she's a blind woman. Yeah. and would have her be a blind woman of color and she's queer. And I, and and that was a note I said, this is what I'm gonna do with this character. Is that okay? Um note back, oh yeah, sure, sounds good. Look, you know, send the first chapters. We'll see if it's if it's any good. Um he said, I sent, make it entertaining and it's all good. I got and and I sent the first chapters, got a note back, and okay, go ahead, and finish it. I'm like, Yes. Um which is which is kind of awesome, uh, because it's not the first time that, that I know many folks have put forward a character that's a little bit outside the norm and have gotten very firm, very quick. Uh no. Yeah, uh, no, yeah, yeah. We're gonna have a blind character. No, it's not gonna work in, in a fantasy science fiction. No. And I'm like, um, hello, I'm I'm a blind person. I can make it awesome. I am there are things that people don't know that we can that would um that would make it work. So
0: so we just God. need to get you those Jordy LaForge glasses and your problems will be solved.
1: No, no, we we're going to do
2: so. a blind character onto a real-life human being. I have Matt Murdock, a.k.a. the Daredevil's sunglasses. <laughs> who's my favorite
1: superhero of all time.
2: I've talked about it on every episode. I don't care if it's even related.
1: <laughs> he doesn't. He really he does doesn't. have really cool sunglasses, though. If I'm going to wear them, oh. I'm going to wear those versus a you, hairband. You like yeah. my
2: Edna's, for, uh, my Tony Stark's?
1: Though I will admit, my
3: absolute it's one of my a- absolute favorite characters in sci fi is a disabled character from uh, Muj- Louise McMaster Bejold and her Miles Rocosigan saga. Yep.
1: So, yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to not, not live in, but yeah. Yeah. It, well, it's, it's just, just fun. Oh, my poor bank account, more books. <laughs> now, there it goes. Yeah, that's it's a, big, it's a big list. So, yeah, it really is with these
2: two guys, especially Cisco. She's like, Hey, did you read this? I read it like two days ago. When did you get it? Two days ago.
3: It's not my fault. I have audiobooks, and then somebody challenged me to a reading contest between now and August. Game on.
2: <laughs> I'm going to hurt those people because <laughs> we got to keep up because we end up interviewing them. All right, the Uh-oh. military question's next, Nick. Oh, my you Lord. You got this. You were born oh, for no, this. See, I, too. I was born for this, maybe.
1: Oh, uh, See, it was like, we were all good, though. We could stick. I am perfectly happy to, to like, we can we can talk Daredevil all day, if you like. I am in on the hat, daredevil, lady. daredevil panel. I will I, talk we right we will, that day. We will totally
2: railroad this episode. It'll be just the Daredevil days Nick talking about it. There we go. God, I love that character.
0: I mean, we could come up with other panel ideas on superheroes. I, we know wait, that's your wait, love, Nick.
3: But yeah, today, we're going to today we're here to make John by pimping your book. Yes, that's what we're
2: doing. we'll do we'll have to do another episode. I think th- if we did a daredevil episode, that'd be really great to have day on.
3: Fine. We we'll do a virtual episode, we'll have day on. You get to figure out the questions,
1: but cool. bam fall and toll. Boom, Nick is happy. Boom. Question 12. Here we go. I can I can <laughs> talk about how what parts of the fight scenes actually are doable by blind people. The fact that that man goes through so many, was it canes? Because every time I have to do something so heroic, he throws it away. You know, those are about forty to sixty dollars a pop, and it's a pain in the ass to keep buying them. So,
0: yeah. Well,
1: just, just saying.
2: Yeah, they they are, especially the stuff he hasn't made. Great,
1: <laughs> right? It throws but, them
2: away. They're, they're them not forty dollars a pop for him. That's 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 a two hundred fifty dollar prop piece. Let me tell you. See,
1: <laughs> Nick, Nick, Oh, Yeah, we should probably do the real question now.
2: <laughs> hey, I'm I, I'm just back and forth with the. With the guest here,
1: I know
3: you're all excited, and it's adorable.
2: I am. I'm like a cute little puppy, and everything. I mean, I don't know. I like, go so far as to say cute, but you know, go on. I was just about to ask a question, Are You oh. <laughs> <laughs> can I be in charge for a bit? Thank you. No, that sounds about right. Uh, <laughs> speaking of military science fiction, your bio mentions that you uh, served in the U.S. Coast Guard in the auxiliary, right?
1: I do. I'm a I'm a local flotilla staff officer with the flotilla 2401 in Silver Spring. Like, hi hey guys. Um, I actually do information services for them, and I've done communications at the um, at the district level. So, um, yeah. So we we basically do a do a lot of the backup and public work um, with the Coast Guard. Basically, you know, they're the the smallest and yet have probably one of the largest jobs um if you think about the length of our coastline and their expanding duties including stuff under uh, that addresses terrorism so a lot of our guys will take over basically anything that the coast guard does except law enforcement and drug interdiction
2: yeah no that's really cool uh,
0: yeah, do you, cool you get to wear the cool outfits with the little dixie cap
1: <laughs> that's the navy <laughs>
0: um, coast guard has the same uniforms basically
1: they,
2: you know, uh, they, they wear blue utes and a ball cap bro.
0: Our,
1: yeah I was gonna say our 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 uh, yeah our our Odus are blue and they actually did a uh, recent changeover for those um but um but uh, yes it is a volunteer uniform service um, and it has to meet the same requirements as active duty as far as appearance I think the biggest difference is our buttons are silver where theirs are gold so we refer to the active duty as gold side where the silver side. Oh, okay. so, uh, And uh, I do have a Dixie cap, but um, yeah, that's not my preferred cover. Never, never looks good. Most uniforms don't look good on women. They're not made for curves. So, no. I, I, yeah, I don't remember know
3: when I was in training. The first time somebody saw me out of uniform and in civilian, uh, and came up to me and they looked at me the next day because they got and and everybody was waiting for this person to say something horrible, and he goes i just wanted to tell her i didn't she wasn't fat thanks dude no. <laughs> because if you I are a, uh the, the the uniform is not supposed to uh show silhouette the female figure and um if you are a That's sexist because it, it silhouettes the yeah. male figure so, yeah so it but it makes us look like little yeah. rectangles so, I, don't normally, I, don't
2: I, I heard it, uh, a, a, a female sailor say that it gave so. them a sea bag ass <laughs>
0: I am not touching any of this with a 10 foot pole. Yeah, no, the- she I
3: meant know. that in the most
2: derogatory way possible. Like she was unflattered. She goes, it gave me a bag
3: ass. It was horrible. I hated wearing yeah, no. it. I looked at it and I went, it looked like my, my, we lived in the Middle East. And uh, so my dad somehow picked up the term Omar, the tent maker. And it looked like Omar, the tent maker had made my uniforms, particularly when I was pregnant.
2: Oh, yes. oh, dear God! Oh, maternity uniforms. Those maternity
1: uniforms. Classy. No, no, no. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> nope.
2: Nope. Let's give them scrubs and a camouflage on it. That sounds good.
1: Yeah, but um, right, but no, I, but I, I love yeah, I, I, gender, I love like. the 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 guys that I work with, both both men and women, I, and I love the fact that things like um, we have one guy who who every weekend would go do radio operations um, uh, over at Annapolis because. Um, uh, a lot of the activity, they'd go out on patrol, they'd come home, but there wasn't enough manpower to man the radios. And so he was there doing it every weekend. That way they could have a chance to go home and spend some time with their families. Oh, so, cool. Yeah, so um, so that's part of the reason that, um I, I think it's, uh, how about this? I, I believe volunteering and, and 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 service for your community, country, all that is super, super important. So this was, this was my way of doing it. So these guys do get a chance to go home. Yeah, that's awesome. So
0: if you didn't know about that and you live near the coast and you have some free time, consider volunteering.
2: (laughs) I agree. Please do that. We need more of that in this world. So. Um, Going back onto your service, um, do you feel that your time in the Coast Guard Auxiliary influenced any of your stories? And if you drew any people that you actually knew from that time, did you put any people you knew in your
1: stories? Yes, actually. I I have a, I have a short story that went out several years ago. Uh, oh, God, actually, now there's a couple of, st- I have a couple of stories that actually, um, nope, nope, okay, yeah. I. The more I think about it now, I'm like, yes, I actually have several stories that involve uh, the Coast Guard. The one that's most directly uh, influenced uh, is in Apex Magazine, I believe, from a few years ago. And it actually was uh, about um, the Cape Hatteras Lighthouse. And it was the first all-Black lifeguard station Um, is the real story. And I basically steampunked it up into uh, the steampunk historical instead about um, the the most famous rescue of the um, all-black life-saving crew there. And what they, and their most, I I basically did a variant of what was their most famous rescue. Um, And of course in my, the steampunk, it's all supercharged and things like that. And then I'm like, I had to actually write a post about, this is what really happened, which was so amazing. Um, that I couldn't put in my fictional story because nobody would believe it. Um, and it's, it's great. It's, it's the fact that the, the, um, down there on the, on the Cape there, it's so, it was so rough on the storms, um, they couldn't get, get a line out. And so basically one of the men swam, the swam, swam out and because they weren't able to, um to get the rope system so people can just slide into land they swam out there and rescued people one by one nine times this guy swam out there and i'm like nine times in the middle of a storm and then bringing people back that way one by one so yeah that's it was it was amazing so
0: that's what always surprises me given all the crap that we get from hollywood these days and you get stories like this. It's like, why didn't you just tell that story? It's right there for you. You didn't have to do any work. Like, there's so many cool stories like
1: that. Yeah, I, I love doing that. Um, one was a, a, a lovely Coast Guardsman who, who unfortunately uh, crossed the bar. And um, I wanted to do a superhero story. And I actually put him in one as a, as a was it that second strength superheroes who, the real superheroes fight the bad guys, right? But while they're destroying the city up above, he was part of the team that would go in and rescue the bystanders who are caught in the rubble. Um, and cool. it was it was um, it was very fitting for him, and I wanted to to memorialize him in a way. So that's really awesome.
3: Um, so, do you yeah. ever pull from the people? Well, actually, you just kind of answered it that you do pull uh, from the people that you so, know.
0: So, given your exposure to um, to the military, does it affect the way? Oh, that was Nick's question. He's back. We mm-hmm. thought your Wi-Fi went down.
2: Oh, I mean that does happen, but it hasn't happened in a while. <laughs> all so, right. Well, next question is Nick's. <laughs> right, I'm assuming it's question nineteen. Yes it is. Okay. Those all <laughs> No
0: oh, 14, 14.
3: 14. 14. 14. Do
0: math? Public school math, people, public school math. Okay, that's hurtful.
3: There is a reason okay. you guys don't do science.
2: You said 14?
0: Yeah, so 14. do you ever do you ever draw like does the does your experience in the military affect the way you engage stories as a consumer? So the way you you view movies
3: I am like, on the wrong
2: Ooh. script, my lord. That's, okay, I already asked had you. Not updated that
3: explains, it on my end. That explains so much about Nick. Because I'm like, what? <laughs> what are you
2: talking about? I just asked for a team. So does um we, that's why we wanted you to update it. JR, just 14. continue while I take a minute to pull my head out of my fourth point of contact. So, so
0: does your time in the Coast Guard Auxiliary affect the way you engage stories as a consumer? Because we've talked about how it affects you as a writer and a content creator. But what about as a consumer of, of such content?
1: I, I would assume so. Um, you know, the the the, the, the course and easy answer is that any, the more you read, the more things you experience in life, the more it changes what you read and how you read it. And um, uh, I, I learned do not go back and read some of those childhood fantasy and science fiction favorites, they do not always hold up well to rereading as an adult. So yeah.
0: Okay. Doc, the next question is you.
1: Yeah. Sorry guys. That was, that was a quick, easy answer on that one. No, that's okay. I, I'm sorry,
2: I disappeared for a second for uh reasons. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Without without telling anybody. You know what, it. if anything's gonna happen, it's gonna be, it's gonna happen while we're on the air. So <laughs> Murphy's Lawn Effect. All right. I (laughs) had a headset on. I was listening to everything, though.
3: Transitioning a bit away from that. Uh, Let's talk about things from a fan angle. Have you ever had anybody ask you for your autograph out in public, away from a convention or regular book signing event?
1: Uh, I have had somebody ask for my um, autograph, but it was actually not as an author um i was actually asked my autograph um by a, a very lovely oh, goodness i want to say she was 8 year old um, uh, because i was a fencer actually she's most
2: adorable fans ever
1: i know and it's just for the for the yeah because i was a fencer so um yeah uh,
0: and, and she means people with swords for all of you people out there she's not actually like taking she's a not hawking of watches or anything <laughs> yeah, she's not giving for that
1: chick she yeah, you guys want some? <laughs> hey, now, did you do? Yo, want some fencing? literature? <laughs> did, you do, did you do strip
3: fencing or collegiate fencing? Like the strip collegiate fencing, or like fencing in the round?
1: Uh, sport. I do. Okay. I do sport.
3: So, for so. people who don't know, because I I know I just threw she out a bunch strip of fencing. So it's called strip fencing, or sport fencing, or collegiate fencing, and that's what you see like at the Olympics. Yeah. So uh, fencing. Yeah, so I did what's fencing the other kind? what the, what's other, the other, kind other kind I'm getting to that. Uh the other kind is uh called fencing in the round, or and it's more like what you see at like an SCA event or a Georgia Ranch fair or like in the um Robin Hood movies or the Musketeer movies. So, and that's what I did. So I always think it's great that when I mean other fencing. And which one does which one do you do, Dave?
1: So I I have fenced all three weapons um, and have been uh, rated in all three, but uh, currently I actually fence foil, um, and um, was um, foil makes me nervous.
2: Just for the audience at home, what are the other two? There's the foil and what else? So there's
1: foil, epée, and saber. So okay. foil is based on the old European small sword. Uh, so it's the, so the target area you're only trying to hit is the torso, right? I just wanna I just wanna kill you. That's what I'm after right? Um, epe is is uh, based on what would be the old duel, dueling sword, so whoever hits first wins, first blood, so you could hit anywhere on the body. Uh, okay. And the last one is saber, which is obviously based off what would have been cav- cavalry, but um, most of them now are more the traditional dueling saber. Where would a,
2: a, a rapier fall into those three?
1: So rapier, it uh, depends on what you're talking about. It's probably closest to epe, would be my guess. Yeah, but so historically cool. it'd be a little bit of a, a heavier weapon. See, um, epe,
3: always scares me because I've known people in the SCA like now it's much safer but when they first started doing fencing in the SCA there were a lot of epes, and um epes break very and they break sharp when the when the blade breaks and that's that part scares me because I've heard stories of it getting people and cutting them well
1: it, yeah if you think about it nobody's going to be swinging a a, yeah. a, um, a sharp blade so if i swing something at you it's going to be like swinging you with a bat so it's going to cut but it's not going to be the, that bad yeah. anything with a point is going to take a lot less pressure so what yeah. three, three to, to five pierce, pounds yeah. of pressure to pierce you and you only need about three inches to get almost any organ in the body yeah. so it can so, it take much to do yeah, that
3: the sea now they use schlagers, which are the blade is more of an oval shape and it breaks when it breaks flat so it breaks on a blunt,
1: and and over the last few years there have been a lot more um, shops cool. that actually are building these things in ways that are that are flexible enough to break well. Um, but but that was my my experience was was being asked for that. Um, I I actually fenced in the twenty nineteen U S fencing nationals in women's vet forty and uh, am currently number seven. So they awesome. didn't have them last Congratulations. year. Congratulations! And uh, if I can qualify, we'll see how I end up this year. So
0: when she writes sword fighting scenes, you know it's legit it's legit
1: there we go and that's that's my usual thing about when people talk um and you'll you'll hear about a lot of stuff about disability and i'm rara on that as a, as a disabled woman because a lot of folks are like well i can't make a, a disabled character a blind character because they can't it limits what they can do and and people get all these weird ideas and my usual response is i'm like um if unless somebody unless one of you guys is number one through six in, in the u.s on on <laughs> fencing i will i will whoop your ass so and, and as a blind person i will whoop your ass so that that and so that kind of negates the idea and it's kind of trying to break people from the the limited thinking about what is and isn't possible especially when it comes to creating fiction
0: so as um grunts nick and i i'm sure when we engage in content be it comics movies or books and they get the gun stuff wrong we generally were like scream at the screen and throw things and is it the same with you in sword fighting
2: and like books you know, and i'm on stuff? medication for that now i don't throw as much
1: <laughs> yeah you don't don't break the tv don't break the tv break uh the TV. actually there's a there's a there's actually a lovely group of us who met through sif with science fiction writers association and it was at the nebulas last year um, and we actually put together a whole panel and all of us had disabilities and all of us do stuttered work. Some of them fenced around to do HEMA and historical, uh, some of us do Olympic style. And what happened after is all of us end up with a big old discussion about all the things that we had seen that was awful. Um, and so basically what happens now is when we watch, there becomes these these little, there's this stream of text messages back and forth about what bullshit something is. So rather than throwing things, we just have to go on angry rants back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing like finding your people That you can then grump with Did, over, did you over just see this,
2: this Did you see this Do you see what horse crap this was
1: yeah. There you go exactly
0: So did you watch the witcher and like scream I've heard some sword people got mad at that
1: It is Oof. not Great It looks pretty though I will say oh, for, how about this? for sword choreography It is beautifully done How about that
0: I like the positivity.
1: done as Henry Cavill's abs. <laughs>
0: okay, doc.
1: Because because there's some things where I go, yeah, you got to make it flashier for television and if you've got a good um uh stunt coordinator or a good fight coordinator who actually knows good sword work, it can be beautiful. Um and The Witcher had really beautiful fight scenes. Not always realistic. I'm like, "Don't don't, don't turn your back. Oh, don't spin like that. No, spinning that's always a bad idea." Um and then um I I love the, the old um it's not that. Yeah, it's pretty old now, that Zorro has beautiful fight yes. sword work. Beautiful. Nothing I'd ever want to do in real life. But
0: a movie or the black and white TV series?
1: Uh, movie, movie, movie. So
3: has have you ever spotted anybody in the wild reading your books?
1: I have not, but that would probably be for the obvious reason that I don't see past the nose on my face because I'm visually impaired. So, no, I have not seen anybody reading my book. And nor am I famous enough. Someone's like, hey, hey, look, I'm reading your book, which would be really cool, actually. So anyone out there listening to this, if you recognize me and you're out there and you have a copy of my book, lie to me. Come up and say, look, 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 I'm reading your book. I'll buy it and it'll be awesome. You will make my day.
0: So it would be kind of like people would be calling the cops and restraining orders if you try to get close enough to basically see if they were reading it, is what you're telling probably, us?
1: Probably, yeah. Shh. <laughs>
0: yeah, okay. If
1: I'm we had enough- that incident
0: with Elon Musk. He got real mad. We were outside his window. I don't know what that was about. We just wanted to get him on the show.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's probably not the best way to do it. You you start by sending letters and postcards, then you move to phone calls, then you move to being outside the window. You you have to slowly ramp up to it, get them used to it.
0: Where were you two years ago? Come on. Jeez.
2: (laughs) I jumped right into sending pictures of my dogs to Elon Musk. He was not impressed.
3: (laughs) Okay. I broke Cisco right there. It wouldn't be the first time. I've seen your mug. (laughs) So what is the weirdest or funniest interaction you've had with a fan since you started writing?
1: Mm. I can't think of anything. Um, I think I've been the weird fan. Um, Yeah. You know when you meet somebody and you just... oh. And you've got tears started, and you want to see something deep and meaningful, and the only thing that comes out is like high, but the high is like three octaves higher than it should be. And that would be me the first time I met Gail Simone. Yeah, I had one
3: where I literally was trying to do th- I was doing this, and I okay, so you don't see it, and I'm sorry, I but uh, I, I was sticking one fi- my index finger into the palm of my other hand like I was pressing a button. Like, I'm pressing a reset button in my brain. <laughs> and that became the universal, that's because brain's not working. And ever since, my friends have been like, why don't you go press your button? <laughs>
1: yeah, no, my, my, are the squeak. <laughs> it's like, it's like my book. Um, so I've uh, been a longtime fan of her writing um, on Birds of Prey, The Punisher. Um, I love and- Birds of Prey. Yeah, so she she brought that series back and and made it into something really meaningful. Um, and just um, she had a great run on Wonder Woman. I'm trying to think and and, uh, uh, um, and I blanked on it. The woman didn't in the bikini. Write, didn't she write
0: for a RoboCop? I see that on her IMDb page.
1: Ooh, I have not read her RoboCop, um, and I have her full run on. Oh, uh, I blanked on the on the character's name. The female version of Conan. Which is going to get me in so much trouble? Red Son- I mean, not-, no,
2: not Red Sonia, but
1: um, yeah, yeah, no Red Sonia. Yeah. She Red okay. Sonia. Yeah.
3: I never saw Red Sonia.
1: She actually made a very awesome, fun
3: last year's and
2: Blades podcast. You've never seen Red Sonia, never read Red Sonia.
1: No, I'm going to oh. chastise you off camera. Be yeah, careful. I have yeah. read. There's so many books. How, how about this? If, if you're going to read Red Sonia. I would highly recommend you start with Gail Simone's run on the character. Okay, I will.
3: Challenge accepted. I have to read a book occasionally for Nick because I make him read a lot of
1: shit. It's it's really good writing.
2: i have the Edna and- glasses it reads it for me. It feeds right into the earpiece. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> very high <laughs> tech. My- I want that. Sorry. I do too. I just totally made that up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah. Well, so that that's my, my fan thing.
1: It. Yeah, but that's my fan example. But I, here's the the sad part. I have met her several times since then. It has not gotten any better each time, so I continue. these weird stalker with, you know, a high pitched hi, and yeah.
2: Okay, so you're saying in person you're not a fan, or the it interactions didn't go the way you wanted them to, or?
1: Oh, I think it's more that I never, I can't say anything meaningful, so I end up squeaking and and not being able to say very much. And it's like, I love your stuff. It's like your fa- one of my favorites and you inspire me and all. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. And uh,
2: It happens. I, yeah. I'm a huge fan of Jim Lee. I got to meet him a couple of years ago. Similar thing yeah. happened. I was like, he's like, Hey, who's that on your shirt? And I'm like,
1: <laughs> Exactly. Now the thing is though, the next time you met him, did you do the same thing? Because I've done this three times now. so
2: No, that was the second time I met him. The first time I met him, I was, it was 1988, so I was 10. And Aww. he was, I was just a little baby ranger, a little baby ranger, Nick. Aww. And that interaction was a little different. I'm not going to go on an air because it wasn't a positive one. Um <sighs> But when all I right. got to meet him much later in my life, um, it, it was a very positive interaction with him. But the first time I met him, it was even worse. It was like, he's like, hey, how are you? And I'm like. <laughs>
0: For those of you listening and, you. and not viewing, that was, the it was an case. awkward silence. I, all right, I know Nick, that so awkward
1: no. silence. I'm familiar right. with it.
0: That, she uh, uh, in her introduction introduction of herself, she listed her entire bibliography. You get the next question at nineteen. I know we.
2: I love it when our hosts do that because then we don't have to. We can go off script a little bit. It's great. Excellent. <laughs> but moving forward, why don't we talk a little bit about uh, Baba Ali and the Clockwork Gent? God, I hope I said that right. I have such a horrible tongue. Um, a steampunk
1: fairy tale, right? Uh, where did you get the premise for this universe? Ah. I, I'd lo- the nice and easy thing is, hey, guess what? We're borrowing from a um, thousand and one nights, so we borrowed from the Arabian Nights. So it's it is Alibaba and the Forty Thieves, um, and so that was the that was the basic plot line of what we wanted to do. But we wanted to stick to the original storyline, um, which, if you go back to the some of the old folklore stories of that, um, one of the one of the versions is called Clever Morgiana because. Uh, Alibaba Slave Girl's the one who basically is the smart one who figures out the bad guys and saves him and everything else. And so we're like, we're going to borrow from that version and a few other things from that. And then the other part we did was put the setting in the Middle East and we're looking at, all right, what time period? Somewhere around the 1880s. Let's look around that time period for the technology. And then going, all right, how would the world develop? And so we have Europe in the midst, uh, in in the in, a, in the beginning. Actually, it's more close to the beginning. is in the middle of an industrial revolution. And so let's talk about the the rise of technology uh, in in England and Europe, and magic being pushed to the fringes. And then we talk about the Middle East, where like, let's talk about the fact that even in modern day, running a tank in the desert is not something that works very easily because that sand gets everywhere, and and technology still has a hard time keeping up. It's
2: everywhere outside of the tank too. I'll
1: tell you that. Yep, it has a hard time with the environment, so technology wouldn't be as great there. So magic would be would be higher, and then we built a world so with the Far East going had actually managed if you to be able to meld the two together. And so the idea of how the societies would rise that way, um, uh, Jerusalem uh, was and is the home to the three great faiths, right? And so I'm like, well, and if you look at the Max of time, the city was, uh, was separated completely into the Jewish portion of the city, the Muslim portion of the city, and the Christian. And I'm like, well, all three of those faiths, let's say, have ties to mysticism. So let's say the three great schools of sorcery are in Jerusalem as well. And so it was nice to be able to build out the world based on, on what we, how technology would impact it. Also with things of history, um, you know, the, the wars between Turkey and Persia and how would those have, have, have messed with it. But, you know, a lot of it was set in, in the Nejd um, part of what would be Saudi Arabia, which is not going to have a lot of people and also not gonna be as heavily influenced by some of the politics going around. So we didn't have to worry about that kind of interference. So that was a very long answer that hopefully was kind of interesting.
2: No, it absolutely was. I'm not sure if you answered my next question or not, JR? Nope, you're good. Okay, Okay, cool. (laughs) It's interesting because all of us have
0: been to the Middle East. So we've walked in those sands. Ah. It kind of gives a little bit of
2: flavor. Well, the coolest part was being in Iraq, outside of Baghdad. Being a student of hist- history and art, because I was an art major, and being able to see the ar- the Acadian Head
1: there oh. at the museum in Baghdad. Oh man! Something I it, only got to feel see the on jealousy? The PowerPoint. It is television. coming through the screen right there. That's the jealousy flying oh, right I got away. mocked
2: and ridiculed for weeks People like, oh look at Garber, he's totally simping over a bronze a lost wax casting. And I'm like dude, do you know the historical significance of this thing? He's like, well, I'm sure you're going to tell me, dork. You know, <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm
0: so, going to tell you. So for like, me, it was, the, uh, it was the Urgot. It's the Temple of Ur, which was uh, an, at just off of Camp Cedar 2, which is halfway between Baghdad and, and the Kuwaiti border, which, mm-hmm. the, which the legend says that's where Abraham of the Bible was buried. But uh, that was kind of cool because you could see where it was an old temple, and then they closed it in. And the old stone versus new stone, old and new being relative terms for something that old. And then when you get all the way to the top, you can see the uh, the blood stained on the co- uh, copper of the blood staining the, the stones, even all these generations later from the blood sacrifices they did up there. And then you, you're up there and you can see the city that Abraham would have been bo- lived in, uh, covered in sand because they just leave it covered. But you can see the outlines of the walls. It's, it was a moving experience, touching history like that. Yeah, but we're nerds and we're probably lost right half the there. audience right now. So, so oh, there's no, there's no. There's no. We have to
2: assume that there's more like us than there are not like us.
3: Eighty-five thousand every year in Dragon Con.
1: There we go. All
0: right, Thank Nick you for your... money at the show. All right, Nick, it's your favorite question now. So I'm gonna bring this I up. I love please. this
2: question. That's the only reason I have a job here is the artwork, the cover. All right. So can you tell us about this cover? Uh did you have any type of say in it? Did you I give did... any notes?
1: Not a ton, actually. Um I uh, the the co-author actually um did this um I think her husband did um because we talked a lot about what we wanted on the cover. And I think our, our biggest thing is we really didn't want the woman to be super, super pale. So that was the biggest thing. And I'm like, ah, I really don't want it to be a white woman. So that was that was pretty much the biggest thing.
2: <laughs> Nothing against white women for our listeners. It just doesn't yeah, fit the with is, the, but the historical the main, aesthetic of what a human being in well, that region looks like.
1: <laughs> right. If the, if the main character is, uh, is, is listed as a brown-skinned woman, it would probably make sense to have her be a brown-skinned woman. So, you know, no false advertising.
2: No, what I really like what I like about it is it has um, a mosaic to it.
3: Um yes.
2: it's set like a mosaic. And those
3: It that, looks like artwork native to the region.
2: Yes. It, yeah, if they encountered Leonardo da Vinci, yeah, um, most mosaics aren't that intricate, but this is really cool and I like that um that texture that it gives to it. It's it really
1: a little bit different. Yeah. Yes, a little bit different.
2: I would push back a little bit on the
0: not that intricate because some of what they found in Northern Africa was pretty intricate from what was left behind when the Romans were conquering.
2: We're talking about Renaissance realism placed on a mosaic. No. See, see, now you're going to go all arty
0: on me and and you've lost what little bit of knowledge I've got.
2: Yeah. This is where I'm going to hammer you with a, I'm going to crush a fly with a sledgehammer because this has to be said.
3: Um, (laughs) I would say it reminds me a lot of Needlepoint also. I could see it like my I, I could see it, yeah. a lot of n- needlepoint and and it's always so funny because i don't growing up in the middle east i i never thought of middle easterns as not white so <laughs> like, i know that sounds really weird but to me because i was told they were all caucasian because they, they identified themselves as that where we were in the region we were so i know th- it can be very regional
1: so. Right. And, and, and you're going to hear things like that. Part of that is, is, is leftover colonialism. And part of that is also just um, if you think about the American census system up until this last round, if you were Arab, uh, you were listed as Caucasian.
2: You still are, according to uh, the Department of Defense or right? ah. DHS. It's uh, it's. How do they put it? Middle Eastern, non-Hispanic white.
1: There we coordinate. go.
2: It, hey, yeah. it, it, it's, it's, it's very, I'm like, okay, so can we, what, what do we put here? They're like, just just select that one. I'm like, I, that don't sound right, though.
1: <laughs> yeah. So so at least the census, I believe, has changed there. will we'll, hopefully DOD and, and, and DHS will get there. Uh, eventually. Policy. But we're
2: talking about government. and Government always moves at
1: a, a glacial pace. pace.
2: Yeah, glacial pace. So. Perhaps in the year 2050, we'll get to something close to
0: <laughs> so, it. So one of the things that struck me about the the locals that we interacted with when, when I was overseas in the Mesopotamia was how um, friendly to, to newcomers their culture was. Like, it was a big deal to, for them to, like, oh, let me bring you home for dinner. And they were going to, they didn't have much, but they were going to feed you. So did you incorporate some of that culture into the story when you wrote that, this
1: fictional by the way? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think incorporating culture in general was one of the biggest things we wanted to be a part of it. I remember some folks are like, man, there's a lot of like religion and faith in here. I'm like, it's a part of everyday life uh, for folks, you know, and it it, it may not be proselytizing to other folks all the time, but as far as personal actions and belief systems, it is part of everyday life. And it's, it is true for a large number of people, not just Muslims, but for others where faith guides a lot of the decision-making and it's a it's a big, if it's such a big influence on people then it would make sense that it would exist in the in the book as well
3: it, it's a huge influence um uh, one of the things my mom cuz my my mom was very active in the middle eastern community when we're, where we lived and she lived there for 20 years it's the longest place she ever lived growing right. and um it was how there's a lot of aspects of middle eastern culture at times that are similar though though the dressing is different to southern culture where religion's hugely important in this like if you're in the south and you don't practice a religion people look at you weird like it can be paganism and they're okay with it as long as it's a religion
1: um right so- and, and, and that's the, the the same my my mother was born in Missouri spent more than 20 years in the middle east and many folks asked me when um uh cuz I actually was born there raised there came here to go to college so lack of accent hides that. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but but people are like, wow, was it a shock? I'm like, so I moved from a conservative Middle East to a conservative Midwest. No, it actually was not very different at all. Just a matter no. of a different faith. And the same so, for, so, for my mom, it so, was so, well. just from here to there. It, so it's exactly what you said.
3: Yeah, well, the funny one is my mom, because my mom lived there from the 70s to uh, just after Desert Storm. And during that time period, because Southerners, we have that thing called the debutante system, which is a way of... Yeah, nope. And um, and I was actually a debutante. I know everybody can guess. What? You should have the dresses? I, I, I did one party. I negotiated it. But my mom... Yeah,
2: everybody had, chip in to buy us a coffee so we can get a debutante dress for Cisco so she can wear it on one of our episodes.
3: Oh, <laughs> yay. I
2: second
0: that motion. Did, so, you uh, what? <laughs> did you have a tiara, too? What? Did you have a tiara, too?
3: No, we Tiara. didn't wear Tiara's. Tiara, we did not wear one. Tiara's. But my, so my mom actually had a bunch of people who would come to her and ask her about how the debutante system worked because they were trying to find ways to update kind of the arranged marriage thing. Like my best friend had an arranged marriage she's only, was only two weeks younger than I was. So, but they were trying to find ways to update it, but not culture shock themselves either. So it was always interesting. Some of my parents' stories from dealing with it.
0: So anyway. All right. So now it's the time to go into the land of make-believe and say, Gail Simone walks into you in an elevator and she says, I'm going to make your book into a movie. What's the 30 second elevator
1: pitch? Uh,
2: no pressure. Why well, got to come a day like that, dude?
1: Yeah. I would be like, <laughs> I'd be like uh,
2: so I got what? the story. See you see what happened.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was like, my answer, just what you just heard. Like you,
2: you just heard her tell a story about how she was like, oh
0: uh. here I was trying to be all sophisticated yeah. with my callback, and you're just like smack yeah. right all
2: over. Yeah, her. but you gotta know your, you gotta know your guests, you gotta know your audience. That that is horrible. That's <laughs> like asking me, like, hey, Jim Lee comes and wants to hear your thirty dollar or your thirty-second elevator pitch. And I'm like he, he has a cowl. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't I don't
0: know anybody in Hollywood. Like I, I tend to read more than I watch like T V or movies. So like I couldn't tell you like
2: Jared, have you ever had to give a 30 second elevator pitch?
0: Uh it's well, worse than a,
2: mess, okay? It's worse than <laughs> mess.
0: <laughs> I mean, I had to justify a mission we went on in thirty seconds because they were gonna That's say different no. man.
2: You had uh, no Oh, I am sorry, Dave, for my code.
1: Yeah, I have now been re-traumatized because now I'm picturing in an elevator with her and yeah, frozen okay. completely.
2: Okay, how about Just we have to touch uh, her hair? It works every time.
1: Wait, 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 I got <laughs> <laughs>
2: every time. Can I touch?
1: I'm not I can't talk anymore
2: <laughs> She falls for it every time. That, that's how I get through it.
3: Okay, I got this. Hartness calls you and he says, Give me your 30-second elevator speech. What do you do? Wait, so there's listening like John Hartness, who runs Fall Staff Publishing, he calls and says, Give me your fucking 30 minute second elevator speech now, damn it, because you know that's how you would say it. And we still so maintain I, a PG 13 rating. So can I
1: pause and go, yeah, this is me going to sidestep slightly again? Um <laughs> well, no, because it, there's there are several kinds of pitches, and and it depends on what you're looking for. And do you want a pitch deck to go with it in preparation? Uh yeah. And are you talking fiction or documentary? So um We're talking and I
3: know that format, and books don't normally have pitch decks. Oh I know that much.
2: Very nice. Damn! Look at me, just lost out of the conversation. Okay, I'll hit you up later, Cisco. I mean, so, I don't like an idiot next movies. episode if that ever comes up.
1: So, uh, okay, and I'm sorry, I completely forgot. <laughs> I what was <laughs> your 30 second elevator elevator pitch, pitch. for God, for, for a book to be made into a movie? No, uh, for be published. For selling your book to be, published. You're book to be published. published. Oh, like, if crap, say, now I'm gonna have to come up with another book. Are you crazy? <laughs> You no, look p- like I have these at my fingertips ready to go.
2: You really need to rework these questions. She is throwing us curveball after
1: I'm curve so sorry. Ball. I'm so sorry. Satellites are
2: looking up and so out of some space. This, but I, I, will,
1: I will give you one that, that has been on my list that I want, which is probably not quite a book, which is I think it is more than past time to, to do, if not a movie, a TV series on damage control. So, for those who are not familiar, uh, about the was,
2: Marvel book that deals with Dwayne McDuffie, up yeah, yeah. So, no, uh, actually, there's actually talks of a series coming out.
1: I have heard that. I am I am so hopeful. And if it's not true, I'm I want I and or even if it is, I want in. I would love to write for that. After spin off books, after Spider Man
2: Homecoming, there was serious talk about doing a Damage Control. Series. It would be
1: fantastic. So, for oh, those who don't know, I'm all in. Yeah, it's Here's a comic change. book series that was written by Dwayne McDuffie. Um, uh, he's actually one of, was one of the very, very few Black comic book writers, and brilliant. Super um, cool dude, too. Uh, creator of Static Shock, mm-hmm. and um, and what Damage Control is is it's basically um, if you like, remember, earlier I talked about superheroes trashing the city. This would be like the insurance company that comes in and the companies that come in, the construction companies that make the repairs and things like that. And, and later on, they expanded to include other teams and, and, and folks. But it's always the aftermath, uh, which I thought was a very powerful pieces of story that were missing. So I would love to write um, damage control. I'd love it to write not about a
2: far stretch for that because we had Agents of Shield for like six seasons.
1: Right, and, you know. and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. talked about the folks on the ground, and we got to see some of the emotional. So what if we were talking about a group of, let's say, B-grade heroes, insurance folks, who are then dealing with families who have lost folks, buildings crushed, their businesses, and, and like, we're going to rebuild it. We've got We've got this guy here. He's not strong enough to really do superhero stuff, but he's going to help move the debris. Right. Um, and, um, and use that to just, you know, here's a woman with like, yeah, she's just got sort of x-ray vision. Should we go around and she, she does all the arch, the architectural reviews to make sure all the buildings are, are engineer are sound from an engineering. Because standpoint. they did have
2: those characters in the book. They they right? you had your, your, they weren't powerful enough to go out and defend against, you know, to give up life and limb to fight off Thanos or anything like that. It's like, no, you're, you're going to help us do, uh, insurance claims adjustment by, gauging structural integrity of buildings that were wrecked by the Hulk going ape crap through the city. So, but we're going to pay you.
1: (laughs) There we go. And there's, so there's so many kinds of stories that you could put in that kind of world. So, uh, so you want to pitch that's, that's what I would like to pitch is. I would like to write damage control, whether it's spinoff books, movie series, it doesn't matter. Uh, I, McDuffie did a brilliant job. Um, for those of you who like to prefer to watch things on TV, take a look at the old animated series Justice League Unlimited.
2: It's again, I love this that. where okay. I uh, do my Thor from Endgame, pull my axe right close to her head, and be like, "I like this one."
0: <laughs> so that is not where I thought you were going when you said damage control, because you were Coast Guard. I was thinking like actual like people that fix the ship when it's broken. That well, would be kind
1: of cool too, actually. One of my favorite.
0: You can, you can totally of- a book on that.
3: One of my favorite audiobook series is the Tom Stranger Interdimensional Insurance Agent.
0: So one my one of my MOSs when I was in the army was actually uh watercraft it's operator so of them.
3: Only three.
0: So uh, I was watercraft operator. So we actually had to go through the Navy's damage control school. And I just remember because we had a set of twins that are in our class that were like four foot eleven. I don't know how they were tall enough to get in. And damage control female. Female. Well, there um, you go. And uh, the damage control, they tell you that the way you win on the, the, the damage control trainer is if it gets to the neck of the of the shortest person, it's over, if you did you weren't fast enough. And of course I had both of them on my team. I'm like, why can't I get the tall people? <laughs> so, so we have even less time because they were so short.
2: <laughs> why didn't you pull a Kirk and just change the conditions of the test, the Kabayashi Maroon? Cause he's
3: not
0: that we,
2: cool.
0: we did, we sort of snuck into the control room and slowed the water down. Because uh, it's the SS Buttercup, which is uh, basically a PT boat in a pool. They call it the Buttercup because it's a trainer. And so we sort of snuck in before the session started and slowed the speed of the water so we had extra time. Did you pass? We, yeah, we didn't get caught. Okay, I mean, good. Because if this story <laughs> ended in failure, well, I, mean, if, I don't if, know uh, how I was, was going We're sorry, but we didn't get caught at the time.
2: <laughs> you ain't cheating. You ain't trying. If you got caught, you weren't trying hard enough.
0: All right, so back to your books because Hardness will be very mad if we don't pimp your stuff, apparently.
2: Definitely pimp stuff, pimp stuff.
0: So what makes uh, Bobby, uh, how do you say that? Let me try this again. Baba Bobby. Ali, what makes it oh, special? Bobby. Wait,
1: Baba Ali or the Labyrinth Archivist? Because the Labyrinth Archivist is actually the one out of Falstaff. Oh. I have two different publishers, though. So.
0: I, I, I only found the Baba Ali, when I went looking for you, you were kind of hard to track down on the internet. Oh,
2: man. I work this right is now. all disappointed. Like my stockers
0: gonna... are so disappointed right now. I know. No. I to work. So you need to hire some minions, is what we we need to get you earning enough money, you can hire some minions. That's what that's what the solution.
2: I work for free comic books and literature. Just put my resume out there. <laughs> you can
1: do that I have a I am good the easiest answer. minion ever. I was like, I have a collection I can pare down a little bit get rid of some comic books. Wait, all do you require floppies or we take or you take trades? I'll take trades. Excellent.
0: See now yeah, they're getting very nerdy, but it's okay. We like I nerds have no here. idea
3: what they're talking about. It seems kind of Finally,
2: someone there speaks English.
0: I, I don't either, Doc. So we're we're on the same page. So so what I'm makes, wearing the glasses,
2: I gotta do with Tony Starkline. I'm sorry.
0: What makes Baba Ali special in the wild world of steampunk? What what makes you stand out?
1: So two things I would say three things would yeah. probably make that story stand out as relatively unique. One was um, we made sure that faith was a part of it because faith was important to the character it's important to that part of the world it's also one of those things that i think tends to get left out of of a lot of much of steampunk but science fiction and fantasy you know it's the, the idea is like we have moved into a a post religion world and i'm like yes and no i'm like you know people have gazed at the stars and written on walls and believed in higher beings for a long time and as I said, it influences so many parts of people's lives. It's like leaving out economics and what kinds I of I don't foods. really see
3: it stopping.
1: Right. So so we wanted to make sure that that was a, a key part of it, because that was a key part of it, uh, of-, of So in the fabric of, the of humanity. Or, yes, yeah. exactly. And, and it, so it bothers me when I don't see that um, in books uh, too, was uh, just the location of it. Having it be a non-Western setting, I think, um, it, it gets a chance to show off that kind of, that part of the world, which doesn't really get a lot of visibility very often. And I use that the same thing in the Labyrinth's Archivist, um, which yes, it's a fantasy, but it's based very much um, on Middle Eastern society. And there's enough thing, cues in there. People are like, Oh wait, I know what you're talking about. I'm like, yeah, that, that is there. Um, because I wanted to have that there. Um, so it was faith. It was part of the world. Um, and the third was, I really enjoyed, um, basing it off um the the original like folklore and the older a thousand and one nights um so because most of us have seen the disnified versions i'm like no 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 we're gonna we're gonna go back to the old gory bloody stories you know of people being um cut up their bodies cut into pieces and left as as a message and and thieves actually having b- burning oil poured on them as they hide in in oil jars i'm like let's That's let's right. get to the to the to the it's real, nastiness. yeah, yeah. I,
3: I remember looking at my mom in uh when Aladdin came out, and I'm like, that's not the punishment for thieves because I knew what the punishment for thieves in Saudi Arabia was,
1: yeah. At
3: eight, and she goes, Welcome to Hollywood, dear. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, didn't
3: they try to cut his hand off in, in the cartoon? uh um, I don't no, it's not it's it, it I think I may have been watching the cartoon, not the movie
1: at the time.
2: I'm trying to Wait. they gotta quit remaking crap. I'm telling you, I'm I'm losing track of what they've made.
1: Which version, <laughs> what happened? Yeah. So what
0: tropes do you think Baba Ali hits the best? Oh, I love tropes.
1: Ooh,
2: delicious. delicious. Um, if I owned a Baskin Robbins, that would be a flavor of ice cream.
1: There we go. We Here do we- have the traditional oh. prodigal son returns home. So, Love it. Um, we we so that that would be one of the biggest ones. I'm trying to think of what else we I have. think I all prodigal.
3: veterans like that because veterans kind of are prodigal sons if they ever come when they move if they come back after the service and stuff. Like some don't ever move back to Georgia, for example, but some of us do it's, it's that different. Yeah,
2: it's, it's hot.
3: And I you read, have a lot of I read the
2: Odyssey and the Iliad while I was in Iraq, so you know that you had time it, to hard. read. Dude, I was a sniper. You have all kinds of time. <laughs> I, I tried to read, but they got really mad when I
0: was reading and driving. You had six time. days
2: of boredom and like 30 seconds of coolness and then another six days of boredom. I had time. <laughs> I had sick people.
0: That's not as cool. So
2: <laughs> Yeah, and I used yeah. to read like Cisco.
0: So Steampunk isn't something we've dove into yet since we rebranded. And it was a very, um, like we did one short story review uh, on our old version of the podcast. But it's not something that that you see a lot of in literature. It's it's an aesthetic that people dress for as far as like cosplay. But you just don't see a lot out there uh, in that vein. Mostly because conventional wisdom says it doesn't make money, but it's cool.
2: That's because you're not reading comic books, my friend.
0: Well, apparently I'm just not as cultured as you.
2: You absolutely are not. I agree with you.
0: <laughs> so so what is it that uh do you think steampunk, do you think that's a fantasy subgenre? Do you think it's sci-fi or do you think it can go either way?
1: Actually, it is it it fits very much in science fiction. So if you think of it as a form of retro futurism, then it absolutely is. It has the, the 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 emphasis on technology, uh and it has the uh, because that has to play a key element in, in, in the way the story is told. And just where if you think about science fiction, especially you know going back to the early discussion, we talked about Trek, right? Star Trek and the idea of of, of hope as a part of it and what the world is like. Um, most steampunk is set around the early industrial revolution. It's the early age of science. It's new discoveries and new explorations every day almost. So it's it's this idea of what's out there um so it has some of the, that same idea that science fiction has so in many ways they're kind of the same thing only in one you're you're kind of rewriting history and you're you're also making up science only not necessarily accurate science
0: did you um, have a dirigible
1: i love dirigibles I airships have, we did have an airship because it wouldn't be it wouldn't be steampunk if we didn't put one in um Is that and, a ship? Original. I had a, a, a lot of fun with that. It's the the that it's the Thaddeus Lowe, named after America's first great aeronaut, Thaddeus Lowe, who tried to convince Lincoln, uh, uh, Abraham as in President Abraham Lincoln, that uh, he needed to use airships during the Civil War, and he he got him to put a little money towards re- using them for observation balloons, um, the
2: Hawkeye program.
1: Uh, but uh, yeah, it didn't do particularly well. It got away from him, and it ended up. Being floated over into southern territory, and he ended up. Hey, having- they're floated
2: away, or the Confederates shot them out of the sky. <laughs> well, they, at, the,
1: at the time, it was pretty hard to get them. They weren't at least. They weren't quite accurate enough to reach them at that point. No, but
2: at certain altitudes, uh, they had to use a cannon. I give them that, but... Uh... but yeah,
1: that's true. You could. Um, but at the time, they were just used for observation. And but and uh, unfortunately, he wasn't able to take advantage of that. And he wasn't quite as convincing as he wanted to be. But the fact that Lincoln had an air corps was just kind of this neat thing. And so the ship in ours was named, named for him. And then the idea was, well, what are we going to... How are we going to describe this ship? And it's like, so do we do we base it off the of Hindenburg, which is the most infamous, the the British R101, which was the largest? Um, and we decided we're going to base this on the Graf Zeppelin, which was is the probably most successful airship of all time. If you've looked at any of those old um, images of an airship over the pyramids, or an airship over Z- Jerusalem, or in New York, um, and over the um, is it the Arctic. Or the Antarctic, the I Antarctica. think it's the Arctic. Um, those are, oh, I know. yeah, those are all the Graf Zeppelin. It's you all the same late 1800s,
2: eight, late 1800s, early 1900s.
1: Yep. Yeah, so North. we cheated a little bit on the on the timing uh, of it, but um, but uh, all of those were hers. she had a mail run um, across the Atlantic. Um, it, it was uh, she was all the in style. Had a very famous um, uh, uh, captain for many years. Uh, And it was just kind of a a neat story. And the thing is, uh, I mean, that that ship got its own ticker tape parade in New York City. It was that famous. Um, And so I was able to, there's video of it. And there's photographs of the interior. So if you were to look at the descriptions in our book and put them up against the photographs, it's going to look pretty similar because it's all based on uh, the Graf Zeppelin. And the sad thing is um, when it came time for World War, she was melted down. Uh, To be turned into into airplanes so because the Germany wanted the steel That's
0: all right, so I I shared a A picture of of history.
2: uh, I see you are uh,
0: I shared a picture of a uh, uh, steampunk Dirigible Uh, I couldn't find a good quality enough image of the graph Zeppelin but this is sort of what we're talking about for you guys watching on the YouTubes and I'll leave that up for a few seconds as we as we continue this discussion
1: Yep, and if you're curious you can take a look at airships.net and there's a whole bunch of, uh, like, fans of airships, and they, they collect photographs, video history about all of these ships.
2: I've used that um, site a couple of times for some comic pro- projects I've been assigned to do, and they wanted airships in there. And I'm like, okay, let's make something cool. Let me rip yeah, this off and, this website real quick.
1: And it's, it's just a great resource. Um, and I have to admit that that kind of inspired me for... A story that not yet written that I totally want to do which is I wanted I want to do one where instead of getting melting down the original captain who would have been in his 80s at the time who was almost arrested um because he absolutely was against what what uh, the German government was doing uh basically before she's melted down gets some of the old crew and steals the ship back and tries to take it um uh, fly it to safety which if you think about the time this is a time where you have fighter planes and he's trying to get a dirigible out of Germany um, would make for an awesome story. Just if you want to make through, that
2: into a comic book? Let me know. I would love to draw the hell out of
1: that. It, it would be so much fun. And it's like, think about it. This is a man who flew this ship, um, you know, for what, more than 20 years, I want to say, uh, mm-hmm. but a good long time. He's an older gentleman? Did his best, um, and yeah, they, he they almost had him killed because he was so much against the war. Um, so I'm like, it's perfect. Let's have him. Um, let's have him try to steal it. And there was, a, there was an American officer who actually flew on several of those trips. And I'm like, let's have the Americans come in and help him steal that ship, so.
3: That would be awesome. So, so can you, onto the story of the book, can you tell us a bit about the main character of your book and what makes it okay. unique and special?
1: Now we're, gonna, now we're gonna go, which one? Are we talking about the one from ESPEC Books or the one from Falstaff Press?
0: So we did this interview on uh, Baba Ali. I like you said we didn't find it, but the other one sounds good too. So we're definitely gonna have you back. So when we get off air, we're gonna we're gonna get you on the calendar
3: for the for the other book. So well, let's <laughs> continue. With ba- well, this has continue
0: been fun. Baba, so
3: and we'll be bringing you back to discuss your other amazing book and. <laughs>
0: We'll call it a part two if we have to
2: We you know what
1: we're doing, before. maybe We should
2: do a part two, let's just Like dive, let's do a deep dive We
1: know what so we're, we're doing it's... We'll bring the drinks next time too
2: No, nah, I got you covered <laughs> Okay, so
3: let <laughs> so... us about the main character in Baba, please Save me from myself I,
1: I, sorry No maybe help you here Save me from
2: yourself, Siska, is one of the greatest failures In my uh, podcast career <laughs> You were the Tony Stark to my pepper pots.
3: <laughs> I'm not sure if that was a couple. <laughs> it's not.
0: No. So what about the main character <laughs> for Bobby Ali? Baba Ali.
1: <laughs> so um, I actually wanted to have a character who was a pacifist at heart, um, who would prefer not to get into fights. And so we, so there was a lot of that and, it's hard to make somebody an active character when you're like, nope, nope, we don't want to get into that kind of fight, um, but it's 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 something we wanted to keep in mind of his personality, and so we have that and the idea of solving puzzles um, and and using uh, puzzle boxes as a way to, for him to garner information and trying to go from there to the next step of all right, what does this mean, and then what does this mean with the treasure, and how do I then um, you know uh, free the genie, and then going on from there, um, so. But it, the idea of it being um, combining knowledge with faith and, and um, personal integrity, and then being able to use that to make your way in this world. That sounds so boring and more than a little naive, but at the same time, it's kind of one of those, it just kind of worked out that way. Um, I, I guess I, I got kind of tired of reading about the jaded heroes, not a Batman fan, for that kind of reason. That's why I lean towards Superman. I want this idea of truth justice in the American way, the Boy Scout. You know, I want someone who's doing this because they think that things are gonna get better, can get better. And if not, guess what? It's my job to try to make it better.
3: That's fair. I I think we need a lot of that in our world now. We need more of that versus the uh jaded superhero who's like, and why am I doing this? Oh well, I'm gonna do it anyways. <laughs>
2: difference between being the jaded superhero and being the reluctant hero the one that doesn't want to be in the fight the pacifist but you come to a point where you're like i can't sit here and just watch from the sidelines i have to get involved somehow that's the reluctant hero you know and those are very interesting characters if they're done right you know daredevil's a reluctant hero punisher is a jaded hero or a-
3: so, before, before we go down nick's favorite alley
1: of comic books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, and, and the problem is I'm not gonna help because I'm happy to go right down that alley with them. Uh, so noticed. I've noticed. Me and Dave are gonna hold hands
2: or we're just gonna take you with us.
1: So- we'll start giving you collections, a list of things that you absolutely will thoroughly enjoy reading. Trust me.
2: Uh, yeah, Punisher War Zone, Daredevil Chinatown. Um-
3: <clears throat> so, can you tell us about any of your amazing other characters? Like, who's your secondary character that you just love?
0: While she's thinking, I'm going to tell you, you know, you've gotten to Doc when she starts doing the clapping. Once everything she says is factored
3: by the clapping. <laughs> it's horrifying when she's yelling at you. <laughs> Uh-oh. Um, but when I'm really angry is when I start doing this at you. Yeah, knife. but you
1: somehow knife hand with the clap. It's, it's I don't know how you do it. See, this is a good you. part. I'm this not going to see the knife hand, so I'll just keep going. <laughs> I just keep going. That's okay. There I is no
3: stopping this woman, which is maybe one of the many reasons
1: I love her. There we go. That's why, why we get along. It works. Um, secondary character was actually um uh Bob Ali's brother's wife. Um it's one of these things where when we first started out, it's like she's just this is horrible, greedy, selfish person. And um, and instead, what is is we're gonna change that a little bit and talk about a woman trapped in a relationship that she's not happy with um and the idea of where she is not respected and doesn't have power and this is her emotional response to it um and then we see how she grows and changes and what it means when she when she does have responsibility kind of thrust upon her and where she rises um uh to kind of accept all right yeah i did some awful stuff but this is this is what i've got to do to make it right um and i think that makes for a more kind of a complex not quite villain, but but definitely somewhat villainous because the idea is like she's not really bad. She's doing this because of these very these very specific reasons, which makes her a fun secondary character. Um our actual villain villain, we wanted to just make a villain. And and he is, and there's no question about that on that well, front.
3: Speaking of, because that's the next question, is tell us about your villain.
1: Um, uh, so our villain, um, so is the 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 head of the the um the 40 thieves and uh it's it's one of these things where i go you know when you look back and go i wish i had been more clear in the story because we know he's leading the thieves we know he's been alive for a very very long time because that 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 cache of jewels and gold and treasures that's in that cave um was 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 cursed and so all of them are actually kind of stuck in this in this sort of limbo where, where they're alive, but they can't leave. And so they're trapped by kind of what, what the stuff that they have stolen and in some ways um, getting the puzzle box from Baba Lee is a chance for them to set themselves free. But this is also a guy who like heads up 40 thieves, who's done it for 40 years, who's happy to be in charge. And is perfectly happy to kill every one of those guys under him Um, to get it because he doesn't, doesn't really value them or value life as a part of that.
0: Okay, that's a thoughtful answer. Okay, so um, speaking of characters, I'm gonna step all over Nick while he's thinking. I can see that thinking man phase, and we might be in trouble. But uh, if you ever, if your characters, I was speaking of a
2: prequel to her villain. I want to read about that.
0: See, I I knew you were going those kind of places because you've got that dark, twisted mind that we know and love so well. Well,
2: I was sitting Uh, back, just going like, "Man, it's like, what? How did he accumulate all that?"
1: That I've that is actually one there. of the leftover questions from the book that we didn't answer was about that treasure, uh, well, which just, which may or may not be coming because we actually that uh, was my my question. the question there oh All perfect right. which is awesome. to start working on the sequel this this year so
2: no that's cool and I, I I really enjoy that that history and that mythology from that part of the world and there's just so much stuff you can get into and as a huge fan of Sinbad adventures when I was a kid. And then when I got done with the watered down version, move into the dark and gritty, you know, get your hands dirty, slit throats, burn people type stuff. Just, just amazing, amazing mythology there. So JR, please continue. I'm, I'm sorry. You're
0: your you're fine. You're fine. Cause I'm stealing your questions anyway. So speaking of uh your book, back to back to Baba Ali, if your characters met you in a back alley after all the mean things that you did to them throughout the course of that novel, uh do you think you could take them if they challenge you to a sword fight? Are they going to uh, get the best fight? of you and beat the yeah, I was
1: gonna say, or... uh, Sword fight, absolutely, because Bob Ali made, uh, used a staff, not a sword, so yes, I, I think I could I could kick the lovely, peace-loving gentleman's ass. I feel okay. really bad about it, real bad about it, but I'd still do. <laughs> I so you know. just felt
2: bad about it. <laughs>
0: Uh, and, and finally, about the universe in many uh, worlds, the universe is much a protagonist. Is there you've touched on it a little bit? Is there anything else about the the worlds that it's written that we didn't ask that you want to you want to spill about the universe of Baba Ali? Um,
1: I think the 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 biggest thing that I that I talked about a little bit, which is the fact that we went back to the older stories and the folklore um, versus. Just the translation of The Thousand and One Nights. Um, so on the website, uh, there's a section called Book Secrets, and under Bob Ali and the Clockwork Gin. And what I do is, I, uh, is when working on any book, I actually have a little post about here's the real history behind this, or here's an issue with that. And so one of the things I did was, all right, guys, almost everybody I know is reading the Burton translation um, of of uh, the Arabian Nights. Uh, and then what it is is I laid out, I think four or five different lines and these are four different translations and you can see how the language changed and the Burton translation is probably one of the most misogynistic racist kinds of things you will ever read. Um, it's it's lovely poetic language but it is is super sexist and super colonialist and super uh, those, those the, you know those foreign swarthy types and I'm like what the hell is he saying um, sort of a thing um, but you can actually see the difference. And I think that's one of the neat things uh, in some ways about it is we didn't use his, we actually went to some older folklore types, tales and stories um, uh, that 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 mirror it because there are there are dozens of variants of this that didn't make it into that collection that you can still find actually in parts of the Middle East being told orally today. And so we we were pulling more from those. Um, Than from that, uh, but it's a lot of fun to see what the translation differences are. And I'm like, wow, you guys really that's what you did
0: The cool thing is because I did this as some of my uh, my graduate work is there's the technology to allow contact-free scanning of Historic literature is allowing us to get it Stuffed up online so that More people have access to it Because um, in the past one that you're limited because a lot of the older stuff you've got to go through a clean room You got to wear the gloves uh, and it was hard to get access to it, so the average scholar just couldn't couldn't see it. And now that they have the technology to do the contact free scanning, you've got entire college libraries getting their stuff like uploaded to the web. So just random scholar from his home basement or whatever could be could be reading through it, which broadens our horizons collectively. Which I think it's a great time to write this kind of stuff for you.
1: Oh, it, it is, and there's all sorts of other fun things where more things are being translated than ever before. Because if you think about it. For folks who want to write about other parts of the world, it's really hard to find things in translation that hasn't come through two or three other sources, particularly when they were translated because there was a big translation boom um, uh, during the the late Victorian period and things like that. So it's going to have a real colonialist vibe in there and it's going to have some very skewed perspectives which means you're gonna be writing something that's probably not very great. And with new translation and things like that uh, that you're talking about and those scans now, guess what? More people have access to things like that than ever before, as well as um, gotta give a shout out to all those volunteers because you'll have a lot of um, libraries that'll scan stuff that are like handwritten. So when I was working on my first film, which is a civil war documentary, there's a whole lot of like handwritten letters. If you've ever tried to read writing from the civil war, it is really hard. And what's great is there have been folks who basically volunteer and actually type out the text. And so that is now, that's available online right next to the letters themselves. And so all those folks who are doing that kind of volunteer work, you, for those who then make films and want to write books, you make our research so much better.
0: And so, like she said, volunteering for the Coast Guard Auxiliary, you can volunteer to scan things at the library too. Service. Every little bit helps.
1: Yeah, I think the Smithsonian has a program where anybody in any part of the of the world can actually go. They'll go, here's a bunch of our letters and books and stuff. If you want to type in the text for us so we have it, you can do that.
2: Hope you can read cursive.
1: Yeah. Messy, blotched, well-folded cursive that's really faded. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. Fun stuff. We all know that uh, every literary universe has its own internally consistent rules of science, technology, and or magic. Uh, what sort of tech could we expect from these books? Or magic. Or magic, but doesn't ma-
1: there could um, be some magic in there. I don't want to spoil nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, they were tied pretty close together. We wanted to to usually use sort for more of an energy-based type system with regard to the magic, but we didn't get a chance to delve into it too much in this book. So most of the magic you see are things like that, which is attached to puzzle boxes um, or to to machinery to be able to help make things off, operate. Um, and the, the thing about most steampunk machinery, whether we like it or not, I'm like, it's not, not really quite going to work because it doesn't quite work that way. Um, but we still tried to, to, to fit into that sort of industrial machinery type of a look and feel and get the aesthetic. So in, in some ways, um, as, as a subgenre, it is it is almost like cosplay of itself. Um, yeah. But we wanted to have fun because the traditional, as a good example, the traditional road is, route is, well, we're going to have uh, stuff be fired by coal. And I'm like, nope, we're in the Middle East, so my mechanical camels are going to run on oil. That's going to be awesome, awesome fun. And actually, I don't want to do it straight oil. You know, if you had oil and then you put it through an Alembic, what would that do? And it's like, well, nowadays we don't mostly use Alembics for making whiskey. But you know what? also works great when you run it through an Olympic. You can get what's uh was probably equivalent to jet fuel. So you
0: had me at whiskey.
1: So whiskey. Hey, jet fuel. whiskey. And We're so, so whiskey. yeah, I'd be like oh, <laughs> our camels run on whiskey now. He Doc does.
0: is getting all excited by the science.
1: That's because they're fuel. Irish
2: camels and
1: uh, <laughs> yeah. Irish camels hanging out and the-
2: hanging out. They they got their scully caps on. They're like oi <laughs> A bunch of drunk camels run all over the place. Uh, of all the uh, tech and magic you invented for your universe, uh, which one would would you want to have for like daily use? Like Ooh. my I, my money's already on drunken Irish camels that run on whiskey.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say you're talking about that. That actually sounds kind of fun and awesome and messy because real camels are total assholes. So they are. The oh yeah, clinical ones would probably be equally so. Um.
2: They want whiskey instead of water that was hanging off your cargo pocket. True story. I'll tell it later.
1: Yeah, or you would need that to be able to survive the camels. Um, <laughs> uh, I, so, uh, other than the fun of the mechanic, uh, the, uh, the camels, I do like the idea of the combination of magic and the puzzle boxes. So, I, I thought that was a neat thing that we added. I thought it was fun. I think the only other place where I've seen magic and, and, and puzzle boxes, although it wasn't as positive, was in the, um, uh, was in the Hellraiser movie. <laughs>
2: The lament configuration. I was going to ask you a question yes, about how the yes. puzzle boxes work.
1: Yeah, um, mine, mine was based more on the Japanese style puzzle boxes, but yes, that was the only other one that I've that I could find. And it, trust me, if that you do puzzle boxes and magic, that was it. Oh yeah, that the was lament it.
2: configuration from is Hellraiser. the only one. I'm a huge horror buff too. I, I don't know. We can start having horror guests. I don't know. That's a totally different. We, can, we thing. can
3: do that on another day.
2: <laughs> I, I'll stick to the comic books because I'm more knowledgeable about so. that than horror. I'm just a casual fan of horror, even though I watch a horror movie every day.
3: The news is not what we call a horror movie. It may feel like it, but seriously.
2: I don't know. So Hulu right now has some awesome stuff in their horror section. I suggest oh. you check it out.
0: So, so assuming you had this drunken Irish camel with a scully cap on, how His would name's you
2: Nick, tech, whatever.
0: How would you abuse that technology if you had it? Because we all know... like. Whenever we get the cool stuff like the magic wand or whatever, we do totally inappropriate things with it. So, so what are you gonna do with your Mm. camel?
1: So, probably having camel races up and down DC's main main thoroughfares is probably not that exciting, but it still would be awesome fun. It's funny, dude. I would (laughs) totally
3: join you. I would go up to DC to do that.
1: If I saw
2: a mechanical whiskey-driven camel with some up and down Pennsylvania Avenue. (laughs) Going through the drive-through of a Dairy Queen would be badass.
0: So you would have to teach the camel mechanical camels to jump over all the numerous potholes that that your area has, though.
1: It's camels; they've got the great big wide feet for shifting sands and stuff. They should be able to handle potholes.
0: Okay,
2: camel toes, man—they're good. Okay, Doc. Next question's on you.
1: So we covered the abuse of, uh, of some. Of this. Um, and and think, me well, actually, they're better than protection dogs if you think about it. Well, Nick, already,
3: Nick's already said that he wants to your camel to be named Nick. So I don't know. <laughs> we're gonna leave that there. It's a um,
2: drunken whiskey fueled camel. How is it not named after me?
3: There you go. Um, sorry, it's been a long day, and I'm just gonna giggle for a second. Okay. Oh, so
2: does your? chairs got editing duty.
0: Does your universe have uh, any other fantastical creatures besides the djinn?
1: I would say yes, but I am not. I am not sure how far I want to go into that. How about that? I know we have djinn. We have. I know we have gin, yeah. I, I know we have the Ifritz, and I know we have the combination of mechanical and living. Um, that so, is
3: totally fair because but spoilers
1: can ruin. it. Well, part of it is I'm borrowing from folklore. Mm-hmm. And so, depending on where we stay, will depend on what gets brought in. If that makes any sense, so more yeah, than likely we'll are you see borrow other
2: from other outside of European folklore. You're going to borrow from other other regions, like possibly Asian,
1: Japanese
2: type folklore. Dep- well,
1: state? yeah, depending on where we are, because if you think yeah. about the puzzle box in the story, it was brought back from his dad, who who who'd been to China. Which, um, if you think about it, um, uh, some of the 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 stories and the and the the characters anyway were from china actually if you look at some of the original stories and folklore and yeah. the names are definitely not middle eastern names
2: no. Yes. No,
0: no no okay well you answered the next question so clearly this you're skipping ahead day eh? you got to slow it down we got we got a format here no, nah, we, so, we
2: really don't. We just like to think we do.
0: So clearly this interview is winding down because you know it's been an hour and a half. Uh, but before <laughs> we wrap this up, was there anything about Baba Ali that we didn't ask that you want to tell us before we wrap this
1: up?
2: Some BTS type stuff?
1: Oh, see, if I had some really good BTS stuff, then I just don't. I'm sorry. But I, I will have better prep language. next time to give like... Well, normally we send the questions... Though,
0: though. Oh, you did a part two. You,
2: you've already Life heard a part two.
0: So, uh, Day, as we wrap this up, then can you tell our dear listeners or viewers over on the YouTube's uh, how they can find you on the Wild Wild Interwebs?
1: Ooh, and clearly, I need to up my my Google foo because I am not easily findable. It would No, so the easiest way to find me is Day Al So D A Y A L M O H A M E D dot com, which is our website. But guess what? I use that same name for. For uh, Twitter and actually just about everything else as well, so uh, you can find me there. You can find my my happy little books on Amazon, um, and I will send a bunch of uh, links to the li- to to you guys to be put up wherever you would like to put things. Um, but you do that. You can check out Bob Ali and the Clockwork Gin, which is a lot of fun. Try something a little bit different for steampunk. Um, and, uh, if you get a chance also the labyrinth archivist, so both have that middle Eastern style aesthetic to them. Um, but definitely different style stories. Uh, and, and de- <laughs> sorry, go
0: ahead. As I say, we're definitely going to have you back to talk about that. So we'll, we'll get with you once this, once we aren't live, uh, to get that scheduled. So, uh, you can find us on our website, which is anchor.fm backslash blasters, tack and tack blades, anchor.fm fm backslash blaster tech and tech blades our twitter is sf underscore fantasy underscore show sierra foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show you can email us at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com sometimes we even remember to answer it we have a facebook group Facebook.com backslash blasters and blades podcast. You can support the show over on anchor.fm or on uh, the buymeacoffee.com backslash uh, JR Hanley and put in the comment section. It's for the podcast and uh, we will keep Nick supplied with his rot gut whiskey and uh, whatever docs because oh, right she, uh, she's all over the place uh, and I'll be sober because someone has to be. All <laughs> right, Doc, you can bring us home. <laughs>
3: Thank you for spending your precious time with us for Nick Garber, J.R. Hanley, and myself. This was the Blasters and Blades podcast. Next, we'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, how Pern is sci-fi,
1: and all things that go boom.
2: I like this joke. I'll have another.